This is the Total Telecom Podcast with Phil Dobby. So download speeds on Britain's broadband networks aren't bad, but progress seems to have stalled. But as other countries deployed full fibre, not only could they get higher speeds, but they could deploy it to broader parts of the territory, which means that they are now catching up and will actually fast overtake Britain. And a big part of the problem seems to be fibre to the cabinet. We seem to have got stuck there. So we have a, a, a situation in the UK where incumbents focus on incremental fibre to the cabinet upgrade um, with a realisation increasingly now by the regulator and by government that, that the consequence of that strategy is, is leaving us well behind now in terms of uh, full, fibre, full fibre connectivity. So the answer, as we're seeing, is more competition from new players or existing players stepping up their full fibre rollouts. And how does Openreach feel about that? I think um, there is going to be competition and we're going to overlap. And indeed, competition helps us all actually make the investment to build further. I think we'll each all have our commercial strategies as how to make sure we underpin Uh, the business case but we will see that competition happen so will that competition give us the broadband we want and how will that competition play out isn't there danger of overbuild with multiple suppliers trying to fibre up the same area and ruining the business case for each other how's that going to be managed we look at the battle for Britain's full fibre broadband today in this first edition of the Total Telecom Podcast I'm Phil Dobby thanks for tuning in Fibre broadband is vitally important because it enables many of the technologies that will transform our lives and and the world of work uh, over the coming uh, decades. Having the higher speeds and the greater capacity uh, to deliver for Britain's businesses and households. That's the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Philip Hammond, last March, talking about the drive for full fibre for Britain. Fibre all the way to the premises. We already have, we're told, a 95% reach for fibre to the cabinet, the cabinet in the street, and then copper uh, from there to your home. But how long will it take to reach full fibre to most homes and businesses, particularly when, for many of us, speeds are already pretty good? Perhaps we don't see the need for faster speeds, at least just yet. Well, I'm not sure. You know, a lot of the studies I've done in the more advanced markets show that there is strong appetite for faster speeds, even when the speeds are already fast. So we did a study, and this was four or five years ago, uh, amongst uh, gigabit customers in Sweden. And a significant portion of that, I can't remember the exact number, was something like a third of them were saying, yeah, I would happily upgrade in the next 12 months. Telecoms analyst Benoit Felton from Diffraction Analysis, who says there is demand for full fibre. Just take a look overseas. In Britain, meanwhile, according to speedtest.net, the average download speed for broadband, and of course most of it is fibre to the cabinet, is 54.9 megabits per second, which is pretty damn close to the global average. Would we really pay more for faster broadband? Yes, FTTP might be slightly more expensive, but actually... It provides more benefits for customers. They get greater speeds and there's more that they can do with it. So actually, um, I think that there will be a very competitive market out there and it will help the end customer. That is Katie Milligan, who's MD Customer Commercial and Propositions at Openreach, the incumbent that has those copper wires leading into our homes. So it makes sense that they would want to hang on to the fibre to the cabinet approach for as long as possible. 
sweating the assets, I believe is the term. Yet, this last year has seen them move to pushing fibre all the way. Fibre first, they're calling it. So, isn't this a significant change of direction? I think it is, yes. Um, if you look at where we were before, the, it was all about super fast. And indeed, we invested, we brought the country up to, uh, with others, 95% of the country getting to super fast. And then with everything, times have changed. There is a need for even more speed, or we hope there is. And this is about the next couple of decades to come, and it will be around how we get the country to ultra fast. So, yeah, you can say it's a bit of a switch in direction, and hence why for us it's about fibre first because ultimately we've got a huge ambition to get the UK on that move from super fast to ultra fast. And yet, as you say, 95% of homes are connected to fibre to the cabinet, or at least you go past those homes. I think only about half of them are connected. So, I mean, I would have thought from a uh, from a business point of view, the most cost-effective thing to do would be to go after those homes that you're already passing with the technology that you've already sunk the cost for and, uh, and just try and extend your reach. Absolutely, and we're doing that anyway. Um, back in the summer, we announced a volume deal with our CPs where we wanted to get the UK onto that platform. So we uh, offered out discounts in return for commitments to move the majority of customers onto that super fast platform. And I think that's important because, let's be honest, it takes time to build the ultra fast platform. So ideally, we move customers onto the best broadband that they can get. So move the customers onto super fast. And then in the background, us along with others will continue to build the ultra-fast platform. So, and is it going to be just fibre as the next step then? Because the logical progression, again, would be to say, well, okay, uh, we've got fibre to the to the cabinet. Let's look at fibre to the distribution point. Let's just take the fibre that little bit closer to home, shorten the copper length, use technologies like GFAST, which are going to give even faster uh, speeds while still using uh, copper as a, you know, because it's an incremental cost. Is that, so is it, is it going to be a staged approach or is it fibre all the way first? I think our message is we are fibre first so ideally where it makes sense we will do full fibre but there will be still pockets where actually it makes sense to extend the copper technology through GFAST and even in future there may be other technologies such as vectoring etc but for us we'll want to make sure that where it makes sense we do FTTP first and then actually where it doesn't we still want to give customers the benefit of ultra fast technology so we will use other technologies so I think it's a mix so that's all great news, isn't it? OpenReach are rolling out fibre. So are other players. Our broadband speeds, which seem to have stalled at the level that fibre to the cabinet is capable of, could be about to pick up speed. That's all great, so long as people are prepared to pay for it. Well, there's that. And remember, you know, there are other competitors moving in fast already. Hyperoptic in, in the large cities has basically cherry-picked the most profitable buildings. BT's best hope in those buildings is going to be half of the population. If, if, if that, how do you make that business model work? Uh, you know, city fiber has announced, I think it's five cities now and, and probably with 10 more in the pipe. Um, what's the rationale in going after those same cities? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. What would make sense would be for BT to say, okay, I'll sign a deal with city fiber. 
and I'll switch my customers over and then I can disconnect my copper network. And there's the thing. City Fibre are shaping up to be a significant competitor in the land grab for full fibre to the home. So are OpenReach making this move to full fibre because of the threat of this competition? Mark Collins, City Fibre's Director of Strategy and Public Affairs, says that's exactly what's happening. Correct, correct. And the regulator in particular, Ofcom, were very clear here. They wanted to see a strategic shift to investment in full fibre um, with a competitive marketplace to do that, uh, which means that the incumbent market share needs to decline. So to go back to the Ofcom view of a, a reducing of the country's dependency on open reach um, uh, and moving to competitive supplies, so new new providers of, of infrastructure coming into the into the market. Um, and I think that's now what we're seeing. You know, the if you look at the the, the race to full fibre, as you say, we're meeting those targets. Um, uh, the plans that City Fibre have very well publicly documented now. We, we always had the strategy for 20, no less than 20% of the UK, 5 million homes. Uh, we have our ecosystem and service providers lining up to support that. And, and Vodafone was obviously a key agreement that we signed um, uh, in last year, which is now kind of fueling our delivery and accelerating our deployment uh, to that 5 million target. We've now got 12 cities in build and, and, and many more to come. But you talk about reducing the influence of OpenReach. Uh, they have a lot of infrastructure in place. So surely, competition issues aside, it makes sense to build on what they've got, extend the fibre from the cabinets, rather than building something entirely new. Um, I think if you take the... Uh, it really depends, obviously, from the perspective you look at this from. So which lens are you looking... Well, the lens of the telescope are you looking through this kind of question. If you are an incumbent and you have a copper network, then you would clearly say the cheapest way to do that is to do some form of incremental upgrade on that existing network. So a philosophy of copper to fiber to the cabinet and then fiber to the home, for example, is a logical stepping stone. That only applies to the operator that owns that network. So if you look at it from the view of a new uh, operator, coming in, say City Fibre or any of the other kind of alternative providers building full fibre networks, then you're not starting with that legacy position. You're starting from right. the view of putting a new infrastructure in place where you have, um, where you don't have an infrastructure to start with. And clearly... But doesn't the, that make it hellishly more expensive for you guys? I mean, the fact that you don't have that advantage, you're almost having to play catch up. Now, I know technology obviously has moved on an enormous amount, so you haven't got legacy that they're coping with. But I mean, you, but you, you know... Everything you do is a new cost. Um, everything is a, is a new cost, but, but the point that you made there about legacy is, mm. um, I think, a very key point. If you don't have the legacy systems, you don't have the legacy architectures, you can come at this from a clean sheet of paper. So you can design a modern uh, network that's built fit for purpose, deploy that with modern techniques and, and put modern systems around it. Then you can deliver that effectively and efficiently um, and our view, more effectively and at lower cost than an incumbent trying to upgrade its existing network. So we don't. Right. See and you do get access. You get access to their poles, and you get access to their poles and pipes as well, of course, don't you? To reduce, the, you know, what what would actually be a considerable cost, I guess, in the build. Um, the, 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 there is a um, you know policy is, is encouraging reuse of infrastructure, and in particular the reuse of open reaches, duct and poles, um, and that has you know a component to play, but but it but it's not the um, the silver bullet that makes it work. I mean, you can still construct and mm. deliver infrastructure without using duct and poles effectively. Um, but there's a key point, and I think it comes down to the question of economics um, and why 
is a new alternative build, a better place than an incumbent, uh, for example. Now, if you're an incumbent and you have the existing revenues, and take Open Reach's case, the existing wholesale revenues coming in on their copper network, then the challenge that the incumbent has is to, to make a business case which says they need to invest billions in upgrade of that network towards a full fiber network um, without an incremental return for the investment. In, in other yeah. words, if they can't charge more to those customers, then they have a, um, you know, and this, the customers obviously being the wholesale providers that are consuming it. Um, so the Sky's talk towards the BT retails, for example. If, if they can't charge more per connection, but they have to deploy billions into investment, then they, they have a relatively weak business case, a stressed business case. And that's been very clear in all the mm. public consultations, for example, that, that uh, Openreach has deployed. Whereas for a new provider um, of infrastructure where you don't have a revenue, then any transition of revenues from the Openreach network to the new network um, is, is, an, is a revenue gain, which is recovering your investment. So the investment case from an alternative provider, when you just study those economics, the investment case for the alternative provider uh, actually, in, 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 in the views of a lot of the investors, makes that a cleaner and easier investment case than, say, looking at an upgrade on the incumbent network. But the incumbent, of course, already has that revenue, so their business case is to retain those customers and not lose that revenue, which is clearly why OpenReach has been prompted to march down this full-fibre road. And Katie Milligan says competitive infrastructure providers don't phase them. No, not at all. We welcome uh, competition, and actually, OpenReach was born out of increasing competition. We've got over 600 communication providers on our network, and actually... In fact, my job is twofold. It's one, to make sure that we build for uh, our own customers in terms of the OpenReach network. But I'm also building a product called Duct and Pole Access, which means that we open up our ducts and our poles to help others build. So we very much welcome it. The Total Telecom Podcast with Phil Dobby. We're working out why broadband speeds in the UK have been so slow to pick up from a fairly acceptable average of just under 60 megabits per second, according to speedtest.net figures, even though our upload speeds are a dismally slow 12 megabits per second on average. The issue has been it's been hard to push beyond fibre to the cabinet if you're the company that owns that infrastructure, OpenReach, unless you have new competitors who come along to jolly you along. And that seems to be what's happening right now, helped by a government ambition to see 15 million homes connected to full fibre by 2025. But how far should that competition go? Well, we'll get onto that in just a moment. But if you're fascinated by where all this is heading, how broadband in the UK is evolving, then you can't miss Connected Britain at the Business Design Centre in London, the 18th to the 19th of June this year, so you can understand more about the infrastructure and the regulatory environment and its implications to the telecom industry and industries that use telecoms, which is everyone, isn't it? So Google Connected Britain to find a booking page book before the 1st of March and you'll qualify for a 25% discount. If you use the code PODCAST in capital letters, then you get an extra 10% off whenever you make the booking. Meanwhile, back to the story and the question whether we're seeing competitive players now simply because OpenReach hadn't acted fast enough. Benoit Felton again. But that's exactly what happened. So a city fibre is basically exactly the illustration of that point. Someone was willing to invest in city fiber because BT was doing nothing. If, if OpenReach had been deploying fiber already, even if it wasn't all that fast, 
I think all of the alternative investors would have gone, whoa, wait a minute. But now that, you know, BT is a roughly five years late to the party, uh, the market is structured differently and money is now pouring into alternative players who each have their own approach. But I would say the most scalable and generic ones, to my mind, in the UK market are going to be City Fiber and GigaClear. City Fiber because they are targeting basically tier two cities. So they're not going after areas where Virgin is necessarily very strong today. Uh, if they can get their deployment model right and deploy fast enough, they have Vodafone's brand kind of supporting them. And the minute Vodafone makes significant inroads, all of the other competing operators are going to come through them, Sky, Talk, Talk, all of these guys. Um, and the minute that happens, BT is then faced with either I make a very risky investment in those same areas or I actually shift to that platform myself. Hmm, which raises a vital question for everyone, doesn't it? Do they go after each other's territory, potentially halving their reach or worse in those areas where they roll out infrastructure? So how are companies determining where they put their investment, starting with OpenReach? No, I think there's a number of factors. So first of all, we'll look at where potentially customers don't have great broadband today. We'll also look at the cost of getting ultra-fast technology. We'll equally look at the practicalities of it because let's be honest, London is a huge place. You can't go and dig up the whole of London. Mm. So we'll try and do bits of cities at a time. And equally, we're in our learning phase as well. So we'll want to try and uh, work in areas to understand different deployment types. So you'll find us going right across the country. So we understand whether or not there is differences in deployment techniques. There is differences in how we work with different suppliers, etc. So really for us, uh, we are looking at a lot of different factors in terms of how we pick the right places to go to. And 3 million by 2020 is what you're saying. I think everyone's a bit cagey about what happens after that. I guess because you said it yourself, it's a bit of a learning curve. How quick, how much is it going to cost? What's the demand going to be like? I mean, a lot of unknowns there. Absolutely. But I think we've been really clear, which is we've committed to 3 million and we're well on track for that. And what we said is we absolutely share the ambition of the government and Ofcom to try and get the country to be as much ultra fast as possible. So for us, it's about learning how we build the 3 million. And if the conditions are right, we absolutely want to go on beyond that. We've talked about uh, ambitions beyond uh, up to 10 and even beyond 10 million customers. But it's just making sure, as you say, the business case is right. The conditions are right. We can build it for the right cost. Customers want it. uh, And indeed, some of the enablers. So uh, making sure we're working with Ofcom and government to remove some of the red tape to make sure we can build this effectively to customers is really important for us. So Mark Collins at City Fiber, what are you doing in these early days? Are you avoiding each other and sort of setting your own patch? Or do you say, no, this looks like an area which is highly contestable and you both go after it? Because I'm just thinking if, you, if you're if you both going after it and then perhaps if you have other uh, fiber providers as well, then obviously that hurts the business case if you're trying to cut the population three ways. Yeah, so you're right in terms of the, the economics of fiber uh, when you try and cut the cake too many times, become challenging. Therefore, if if you look at all other markets where there has been you know, deployment of um, you know, competitive fibre infrastructure, meaning multiple companies building fibre networks, they they tend to evolve towards a um, a kind of a mm. geographic focus. In other words, you avoid the the volume of 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 unnecessary duplication of those infrastructures in the same places. 
Now, one of the challenges in a, in a, in a very early stage of network build is determining those rules. So you're right from the point of view that, that um, companies like ourselves and OpenReach are competitors and therefore an early stage of competition. You, you, you will see um, a tendency towards uh, a greater degree of duplication. But the market, in, in my experience looking at other territories and what I, I predict will happen in the UK, it will move to more rational investing over time. Now, just to give you some examples of how that will happen, um, if you take, um, for example, duct and pole access, then by nature of the policy to encourage the use of duct and pole access on the OpenReach network, then that, that effectively means that City Fiber will increasingly become an important customer of OpenReach. Um, therefore, we have a collaboration that will start through the use of that duct and pole uh, infrastructure. And once there's a greater degree of natural collaboration, we think that will lead to more rational investing down the line. Um, I think from our perspective, whilst we don't necessarily fear the view of competition and competition in each location, um, we actually think the, the fundamental economics um, for the deployment of fiber put, put the alternative provider in a better position than the incumbent. So if an incumbent has to do two things, one is to, to increase its, its investment in full fiber in a particular location um, where it's not going to get a, a, an incremental return on that investment because the wholesale price is going to say that the uh, what it can charge for the fiber, you know, for full fiber is pretty much the same as what it will be able to charge for its fiber to the cabinet. If it had to make that investment at the same time of recognizing substantial reduction in market share in that territory, then there's a double whammy on, yeah. on the business case for the incumbent. And therefore, the logic will therefore be that, 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 that you know, there will be a, a greater degree of people looking at the individual business cases and saying, how do we avoid those inefficient um, kind of economic returns, and therefore you start to naturally move towards more rational investing, which would be to invest in different locations. Well, let's hope that's the way it works out, because it could be very expensive for everyone otherwise. But what about while you're rolling out this network? If you're going down a street, do you cover every house? Are we going to get ubiquity of access? Or are there going to be houses in that street that you might say, this is just too expensive to reach that house? It may be too far from the road, for example. There are individual cases like that, and these do come down to to use a different commercial operators. Um, so from the city fiber perspective, I mean, our view is we drop fiber past every premise. Um, so we build to the, to the boundary of each premise uh, within that area. And we do not look to cherry pick within those. So we take a, take a coverage area, we're taking the average build across that city, say, um, which recognizes that some areas are more expensive and some areas are less. But we look at it as an average investment cost across the city. Now, there will be the one or two occasional properties where, for whatever reason, wayleaves, for example, are challenging or, or a property has a particular long private driveway. Um, and, and again, standard um, uh, pro- process really for the industry to deal with those is drop property as close as you can and then deal with those individual landowners as to how you might then get the fiber uh, laid across that land. Um, but the objective, obviously, is to get as many people covered as quickly mm-hmm. and as efficiently um, you know, as we can and try to avoid leaving holes and pockets um, which create problems for service providers. So ISPs like to market to as many consumers in the same place as possible and don't like certain customers being left out of that opportunity. 
just because the network doesn't go there. So, so I think it's getting the right pra- practical view and the right balance of those things. So the great hope is that competition is going to emerge where new players take new territories and we don't have overbuild where we get two sets of infrastructure rolled down the same street and destroying the business case for each provider. But Benoit Felton, what about consumer choice? If I want to be a national retail provider, then I'd need to be on both companies' networks or perhaps uh, even three or four companies' networks. And we'd need to ensure that each provider is open to everyone. Now, we can say that for OpenReach, but can we say the same thing for every provider who's going to be providing wholesale access to to their infrastructure? Okay, HyperOptic is vertically integrated. So if you go with HyperOptic, then your alternative choice are whoever else is connecting that building. So today it would be BT's Copper and probably nothing else, or maybe Virgin. But, you know, City Fiber is a neutral wholesaler, so they're going to sell to anyone. So the question is then, you know, if you're a TalkTalk or a Sky, what is the critical mass of customers that's going to make you say, okay, I am going to go on these guys' network? And I would argue that's probably around a million homes. So I think the minute that that City Fiber hits a million homes past, you will see every market player say, okay, they're now large enough that I can go onto that platform. So no, I don't think there's going to be an impact on customer choice. In fact, there might be an impact on customer choice if if you kind of roll this out mid, mid to long term. If OpenReach was to deploy in competition with both an independent farmer network and Virgin, then they'll get to a point where they're going to turn to Ofcom and say, I'm no longer a significant market player because my market share isn't above 50%. So I don't have to serve uh, everyone in the market anymore. Um, I don't know if they'll pull that off or not, if they even want to, but that that could happen. Um, I, I don't know. That's all very wildly speculative at this stage, right? But it sounds like, your, sounds like your biggest concern is if we've got too many infrastructure players, then each of them obviously is bastardizing the business model for each other. Uh, There's a question about how sustainable it all is. Yeah, and so that's why, going back to the point I was making earlier, what they did in Spain was they said, um, you know, duct and pole access needs to be really cheap, very easy. And uh, through that, multiple players can actually invest and still have a business model, even if they don't connect a massive amount of the population. And, of course, even if someone like City Fiber delivers without any full fiber competitors in the areas where they're rolling out, they're still likely to be delivering in areas where BT is running fiber to the cabinet. And OpenReach has the opportunity to cut wholesale prices if it wants to. I mean, that could all get quite messy, couldn't it? But to add to some of the confusion, uh, City Fiber isn't rolling out an entirely open access network, at least not at the beginning. We are deploying our fiber to the home to the consumer in each individual city, then we have a period to which we uh, work with um, Vodafone as we're coming into the construction of the network. We have a, a period where we work, at, we work primarily with Vodafone, but those networks over time when they're constructed open up for every ISP to use. Right. So there's a bit of a holiday period for Vodafone where they have exclusive use in that case. Just for a, just for a period whilst the network is in construction, um, and then as, as, as areas in the city move out of construction, they open up. To, to other providers and clearly what we're seeing from the other providers now as, as our network's deploying and we're um, getting greater scale in the delivery, more um, 
customers are being connected, there's more availability than the interest from the other service providers to come onto our networks is increasing. But I wonder if those other providers will be happy that Vodafone has been given the early advantage to go for the land grab. Perhaps they'd rather go with OpenReach. So it's an interesting space evolving, isn't it? This battle to go faster. And if you've enjoyed this first episode of the Total Telecom podcast and you'd like to hear more, well, this is a story I'm sure we will follow as we move from FTTC to FTTH. Will the business cases stack up? Well, that depends on how nicely everyone plays together because in Australia years ago, Telstra and Optus rolled out cable networks at the same time down the same streets and both made losses and had a write-off of fortune. So if you've enjoyed the last half hour, let us know. I'm Phil Dobby. Find me on social media or tweet back to Total Telecom at Total Telecom is the Twitter handle and I'll see you back here very soon for the next Total Telecom podcast. Thanks for listening. 